today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. I live no longer, but Christ lives his life in me. Wouldn't that be amazing if that were the average Christian life? You think we'd make an impact on our world? When you and I measure our Christianity by the standards of the world, we look pretty good. We really do. I mean, the world, whether they know anything about church or not, when really, when we talk about moral standards and stuff, they look at Christians for the most part. So you guys are doing pretty good. But when we measure ourselves according to God's word, the picture isn't quite as pretty, is it? Not quite as pretty. If we compare ourselves to those around us, we probably look pretty amazing. Pastor David reminds us that the only one we should be comparing ourselves to is the Lord. He's the only standard of measure that matters. Of course, we're going to look like a saint compared to the person that's in continual sin. We shouldn't be seeking out someone who is worse off than us just to make ourselves feel better. We should be immersed in God's Word and dying daily to ourselves, seeking to be more like Him. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 3 with today's edition of The Open Word. Sometimes you just go through the motions, whether it be because you're tired, because you're weary, um, just because whatever. You just go through the motions, and you know your heart is not in what you say you're doing for the Lord. And I think, in an overall sense, that's exactly what was going on here with this church in a major sense. In his commentary on Revelation, H.D.M. Spence writes this about Chapter 3, verse 2 in particular. And let me read all of verse 2 again for you. He says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Spence writes this. And when I read that this week, it hit me like a ton of bricks. He says, A minister of Christ is very often in highest honor with men for the performance of one half of his work, while God is regarding him with displeasure for the neglect of the other half. So this pastor here had to stop and say, Lord, am I just busy doing the right thing with the wrong heart? Looking good on the outside, but empty on the inside. I think this this is the kind of thing I believe for every one of us. We need to consider, Lord, am I serving you in this area? Am I doing this in this area because of my passionate love for you? Or is it because it's expected of me? How is your true worship, your works, your Christian life? Not from, not from the front side, but from the back side. 
from the depth of the inside. Well, I'm here, aren't I? I serve, don't I? I give, don't I? But that's not the real issue, is it? I hope you understand that's not the real issue. As a matter of fact, when Paul says, hey, uh, we need to be cheerful givers, the understanding is, is if you can't give in that kind of way, then just don't give at all. We ought to serve the Lord with a, with a whole heart. And as a matter of fact, if you can't serve the Lord with a whole heart, then don't serve him at all. So half of our Sunday school teachers just resigned, Robert. I don't know what to say. No, no, no I, I don't believe that that would be true. But that's that's the kind of thing. That's not saying that every once in a while we don't have a bad day. I understand that. Your pastor has bad days, okay? Bad weeks sometimes. So, But the overall intent and drive, is it because you love the Lord Jesus? Or is it because, well, I committed, i got to fulfill that commitment? Or again, it's expected of me. Is your life being lived for the glory and for the praise of Almighty God? Or are what you're doing, would it be simply considered a nominal Christian life. There's a world of difference between a nominal Christian life and what should be the normal Christian life. Watchman Nee, early in the 1900s, is a Chinese pastor on fire for Jesus, absolutely on fire. Prolific writer, and most of his writing was done in prison because he was imprisoned once the communists came into China. He was in prison for his faith. He was in prison because he was a pastor. Wrote a lot of, most of them very short, but very power-packed books. In the opening paragraphs of his introduction to the book, The Normal Christian Life, this is what he writes. What is the normal Christian life? It's something very different from the life of the average Christian. Indeed, a consideration of the written word of God, of the Sermon on the Mount, for example, should lead us to ask whether such a life has ever, in fact, been lived upon the earth, save only by the Son of God himself. But in the last saving clause lies immediately the answer to our question. He says the Apostle Paul gives us his own definition of the Christian life in Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. Here he's not stating something special or spectacular or peculiar. He's not stating some higher level of Christianity. He is, we believe, simply presenting God's normal for a Christian, which can be summarized in those words. I live no longer, but Christ lives his life in me. Wouldn't that be amazing if that were the average Christian life? Do you think we'd make an impact on our world? When you and I measure our Christianity by the standards of the world, we look pretty good. We really do. I mean, the world, whether they know anything about church or not, when really, when we talk about moral standards and stuff, they look at Christians for the most part, say, you guys are doing pretty good. But when we measure ourselves according to God's word, The picture isn't quite as pretty, is it? Not quite as pretty. Thirdly, Jesus tells that church, remember. He says, remember, therefore, how you have received 
and heard. And here, I believe that Jesus is telling the church, telling you and I as individuals, you know what, we need to go back to the basics sometimes. Sometimes we just need to go back to that time in my senior year in high school, and I was at a uh, evangelistic crusade in Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Phoenix, Arizona, and I thought that I was saved, but as James Robinson was presenting the gospel that night, the Holy Spirit of God penetrated all my facade, and I broke down and cried out that I need a Savior. And how he changed my life and the things that it changed in those days. And I need to go back to that sweetness and remember again, no, I wasn't a Christian by profession. And I use that term because there are a lot, even in the clergy, that are Christian by profession only. No, I was just a senior in high school. I realized my, my facade was crumbling all around me. And I needed forgiveness. Need to go back to the basics. We don't need to impress anyone in this realm at all, either as a church or as individuals. Earlier this week, you might have heard the news, maybe you didn't. We got news that uh, one of the senior pastors of one of the biggest Calvary chapels in the nation was forced to resign his church for moral failure. And it broke the hearts So many people that knew the man, loved the man, understood man. He's a gifted man of God. But he allowed, again, just his flesh to come in and creep in and creep in. It goes back to that statement of Pence. Everything you look good on the outside, for half of what you are, people praise you. But the other half, God's not too impressed. We don't need to impress anyone. I am coming to more and more the realization that I don't need to impress you. But, you know, in my flesh, I always think I do. You just need to know that and being really honest here. I want to be sharp. I want to be, you know, have the right things to say. I want to do the right things. But I need to be, and you need to be more concerned that God is pleased with me, whether man ever is or not. This last week, I was speaking with someone, and their conversation was full of I and me. Oh, I've done this, and I was here, and I was a part of this, and I did that, and I, I was, a, and, and I was always, a, and here I was, and I was, a, and I mean, the whole conversation was just going on and on and on. After a while, I was thinking, I was getting kind of tickled by this thing. It was, I, I realized the humor in this as they were trying to impress me with who they were, and I thought, I ain't nobody to impress. So why are you pouring all of this stuff out? How much I would have rather heard, you know, what God had been doing in their life instead of what they had been doing over the last 20 or 30 years. I'm not impressed. You can come up to me and you can say, hey, you know, I'm the king of Siam. I am. And uh, that's that's fine. Have a seat. Try not to disturb everybody with your crown, you know. The great, the great thing is, is... Uh, you know, I I continue to tell Brian and, and Robert both, I don't know, I don't care, I don't want to know what anybody's giving, whether they give or whether they don't give, how much they give or how much they I don't want to, I don't want any of that because I know where my flesh would go. Suddenly I'd start saying, oh, man, Roger, man, they gave me hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, I need to make sure that I don't, you know, uh, step on Roger's toes, you know. I mean, step on Nathan's toes, that's okay, but not on Roger's toes. 
try to impress people. For this person, it seemed like all it appeared, it sounded like all that they needed, all that they wanted was the applause of men. How sad, how empty that is. And again, how soon those things are taken away. Next, Jesus tells him, you need to hold fast. Hold fast. It's the idea that in your Christian life, you're going to be pushed. You're going to be pulled. You're going to be pried. You're going to be drawn into the things of the world. Your flesh is going to cry out to you every day and perhaps every moment of every day. And he's saying, you know what? Stand firm. Hold your position. Maintain your station. Do not allow these things to move you. You need to remain stable in faith. You need to remain stable in trust. You need to keep hold of what you've heard and what you've, what you've committed to the Lord because the world is going to try in every way that they possibly can to tip you just off center. And you know what? That's all it needs to do is just tip you off center. You know how that is. You see People standing and, okay, just as a goofball guy that I am, and, I, and I'll see a friend standing there, and they're not really paying attention. And you know how you can just come, come up and just kind of tap them on, on the back of the knees, and all of a sudden they almost fall over. Or you see them, they're just kind of leaning over, and it's really easy to just tip them over because they're not paying attention, and they're off center. And the enemy is the same way with you and I. All they need to do is get us off center, and we're so easy to fall over. That's why we need to remain focused, our eyes fixed on Jesus. Fixed and focused. You get out of focus, you're going to be drawn away from the truth. Because you're not focused on the truth. You become focused on other things. You and I as individual believers, we as a church, need to hold fast, stand firm. Remain centered. And the last one, he says, many cases, perhaps in all cases, we need to repent. Anybody not repented today? Maybe right now is a good time to. Because I know that probably, no, I'll change that. I know that every one of us have needed to repent today. Every one of us. You've had an attitude. You've got frustrated, you got angry. Or maybe it's just the fact that you need to repent because of lack of passion for Christ. Maybe it's no big outgoing sin, but maybe your devotion was waning today. Lord, I repent of my selfishness today. We need to continually be those who are able to recognize, to be able to see our lives through the eyes of the Lord and not measured by the world, not measured by others. Paul reminds the church in Corinth, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, they're not wise. (laughs) I think that's one of Paul's understatement things, okay? They're not wise. Our standard is, is the Lord. Our standard is his word. We need to be those who are willing to repent. We're willing to turn back to the Lord, turn back to his word when we find ourselves off-centered, when we find ourselves drifting away. One other thing about this, this idea of holding fast and repenting. 
The tense of these verbs need to be understood. The tense for hold fast indicates that they are to continue to hold fast. It's not like, you know, hold fast right now. No, you hold fast and you stay holding fast. You don't slack up on that. Any of you that were in the military, somebody that was on guard, when they're on guard duty, are they on guard duty for a moment, for, you know, uh, a couple of moments? No, they're on guard duty for their entire time there, their entire shift there. They are on guard duty. And what happens if you're in a war situation and that sentry slacks off on his guard duty? That's a pretty major offense, isn't it? Could even be death for him. Well, beloved, it's the same way with us. We've got, number one, we've got to realize we are in a war. We are in a battle. And the enemy is looking for every opportunity, every chance that he can to destroy us. My flesh cries out continually all day long. My flesh cries out all day long trying to pull me away from the things that I know to do. And if it happens to me, i got a pretty good idea. It's probably happened to some of y'all. Okay? I've got to be on guard for that. I've got to be on guard for my attitude when something doesn't go my way. Then I don't cop an attitude. Not just with my wife, with, with anybody, okay? That I don't just get an attitude. I've got, I've got to guard my mind that I'm not drawn away all the time. I've got to do that on a continual basis. I've got to continue to hold fast. And the tense for repent calls for them to repent once for all. Do it real. Do it true. Don't make it halfway. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm sorry about that. You, you, any of you that have had kids, and the kid's fighting. Go tell your brother I'm sorry. Mom's sorry. That's not what I told you to say. Go tell him that you're sorry. I'm sorry. Really? How do you think God feels when we're that way with him? Lord, I'm sorry I went that way. I'm sorry I did that. Or is there a real brokenness and a reality that, no, you know, what I did, I hurt the kingdom. I went back on my word, my promise, my commitment, my love for you. I don't want my repentance to be empty. I want it to be real. Jesus warns him. He gives him actually a second chance here, which is absolutely amazing because the Lord is, again, he is the God of second chances. Amen? He's got a third chances too, right? Amen? Yeah, well, so more of you had third chance than you had second. Yeah. Jesus warns him. He says, Again, with, with a serious reminder that if they fail, there's going to be some strong consequences. He says, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Now, we've spoken a lot about that as we've been going through Second Peter, this coming as a thief in the night, coming unexpected, coming at a moment when nobody is there, nobody is ready, nobody's prepared for it. The thief comes when nobody is looking Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, he says, For you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, everything's cool, everything's fine, then suddenly destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. It would appear here that the only hope that Sardis has, that the church of Sardis has, is again found only in a minority of some people. Because Jesus continues in verse 4. He says, you have a few names, even in Sardis. It's kind of like, yeah, even in Sardis you got a few names, okay? You've got a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. They're going to walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name 
before my father and before his angels. You know, it's amazing to me. God always has a remnant. God always has a remnant. And we can look around and we can look at churches, we can look at movements, we can look at situations, and there are people, yes, even within those, really and truly love the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a remnant there. We look down through history as the church has fallen and, and been drugged through the muck and the mire and, and, and got all politicized and all these things. And yet, even in that somewhere, through all of that, there was a remnant of believers. Even in Israel, in the Old Testament, you go back in the worst of their times, there were remnants of believers. There's a remnant of believers here in the church of Sardis. He says, you know, even in Sardis, there are some of those who have not defiled their garments. And the word defiled actually has the idea of uh, soiled in a bad way. Okay? Can I just leave it at that? You've not soiled your garments. And they'll be able to walk with me in white, for they're worthy. Now, the great thing is, is he gives them, before this, this opportunity to turn, to remember, to turn, to repent, to hold fast, doesn't he? So he gives the opportunity to everyone. Yeah, even you guys that have blown it, even us that have blown it so bad for so many years, he says, you know what, if you'll turn, if you'll repent, I'm still here. Because there are some that have not gone the way so bad. He says, they're going... They've not allowed themselves to get spotted by the world and by the, the, the defilements of the flesh. They're going to walk with me. In verse 5, he says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. What is that garment? That's the garment of righteousness that Christ lays upon us. Remember, even as I shared Sunday morning, that sanctification process. We are sanctified. We're being sanctified. We will be sanctified. It's the idea with righteousness. In Christ, we are righteous. We are walking in righteousness, hopefully we will be righteous. That's the idea, he says. They're going to be clothed with that white garment. He says, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Now, we could go a lot of different ways with that, but just real quick, let me bring it to you this way. You can speak about the fact, well, see right there, you can lose your salvation because he's going to blot your name out of the book of life. Personally, I don't believe that that's the overall context of what Scripture says, but whether you believe that or not, let me put it to you this way. Why would you want to live in such a way that if there was a chance that it would happen? Okay, I like what Pastor Chuck used to always say. He says, why would you walk along the edge of a cliff with the possibility of destruction in your life when you could move and you could walk on solid, firm ground in the grace, in the mercy, and in obedience to the Lord? That's That's the thing I think that we need to. He says, I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. Elsewhere, the word tells us, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my father. And what is that confession? If you've, if you've heard anything over the last several weeks on Sunday morning, uh, hopefully you've heard that it's not just the simple confession of, see, I've got my name back in the back of the book where I said the prayer, where I did the deal. That's not the confession. That's not the fact that I stood up even one time or I got baptized at one time. That's not even the confession. The confession is a life of Christ in you, a life of Christ in you. And he ends it with, again, as he does for all the churches. If you've got ears, then you ought to be able to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And again, every week I look around, and most all of you have two ears. So we ought to be hearing. Amen. Amen. 
Thanks for spending your time with us today on The Open Word. If you were encouraged by this time together learning more about Jesus and want to hear more, we'd invite you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes where you can get notified of the latest message as soon as it's available or find archive messages you may have missed. You can even find these teachings online at theopenword.com. There you can learn all about The Open Word and the ministry we're blessed to be a part of. In fact, Pastor David has a special message for you about how you too can be involved in sharing the good news through the open word. There really is something deeply refreshing about being a part of God's kingdom. Not only do I get to learn more about him every time I open the Bible, but he's given me the great privilege of sharing his love with you. This radio ministry and others like it, they're a wonderful and powerful way that God is reaching people across the nation and well, across the world with the gospel. We're blessed to be a part of it. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. Would you prayerfully consider being a part of our financial support here at The Open Word? If you feel led to give, visit theopenword.com and click on the support option. That'll bring you to our secure giving page. Your gift will help us to continue to grow and spread the word of God. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord. Thanks, Pastor David. As our time with you draws to a close, know that we continue to pray for you and for more and more people to come to know Jesus through this ministry. Join us next time to continue studying Revelation right here on The Open Word.